0: Good morning. Happy New Year. We made it. (laughs) I'm actually kind of shocked. To be honest with you, this was a quite a crazy year. Um, I'm going to have you turn with me to Philippians chapter three. Uh, We'll be focusing primarily um, on verses 12 through 14. Um, And so... I want to give us a little bit of background on our text this morning. I don't want to spend too much time there, but I think it's important that we have the context of what we're talking about this morning. So the book of Philippians is actually a book of joy. Um, And so as I was thinking about, okay, Lord, what would you have me to say this morning? And I think what we all could use is some joy. I think what we all could use is some hope. I think what we all could use is some relief from 2020. (laughs) Um, Paul writes this letter from a prison. Um, This is a prison epistle. Around AD 62 is when it's believed that um, Paul wrote this letter. If you were with us um, as we journeyed through the book of Acts, you might remember that Paul established the church in Philippi in Acts chapter 16 in that leading city of Macedonia. Paul had a vision of the Macedonian man, and that made him to go over there to Macedonia, and he ended up planting the church of Philippi while he was there at that time. You may also recall that Paul faced some imprisonment and uh, some some trials while he was there in Macedonia. But as a result of His imprisonment and the things that he faced while he was there, the church of Philippi ended up being planted by Paul at that time, which is considered to be the first European church. Um, What's amazing to me about the book of Philippians is that it's considered a book of joy, but the book was written from such a joyless place as a prison a lot of you might look at 2020 and say 2020 was like a prison for me. 2020 was a prison for me in the sense that a lot of activities and things that I had planned for that year ended up being canceled. Um, A lot of my hopes, a lot of things that I really wanted to see happen in 2020 just didn't go the way that I expected them to go. Um, Along with the lockdowns, along with the mass mandates, all of this stuff could have us be in a place and in a mindset, almost as Paul was, of being in a prison. But Paul is showing us this morning, he is telling us in the book of Philippians that our circumstances should not dictate whether or not we have joy. Now, that's a hard thing to grasp, but it's a true thing. Our circumstances should not dictate whether or not we are going to be Joyful in the Lord. One of the main themes of this letter is the fact that we can have joy regardless of the circumstances we face. And what better person to express this truth than the Apostle Paul from a prison cell? I recall when this year, when 2020 started, when all of this stuff was really getting going, um, when the talk about COVID was at its height. I remember my wife walking over to the calendar, standing in the kitchen and she cried as she crossed out everything that she had planned for the coming year, for our family, for herself personally, all of these things that we were looking forward to, to enjoy and experience in 2020. Yet, in spite of all of that, Paul is telling us that I can still have joy in the midst of such a dark time, in the midst of such a dark year or a dark place. Paul starts the book of Philippians in chapter 3, or at least he starts in chapter 3, warning the people about a group of people called the Judaizers. So these Judaizers were men who believed that in order to really know Jesus, in order to really be saved, that you had to be circumcised. And so they were a group of people that we would call legalistic. They were a group of people that were trusting in the flesh, trusting in the outward things of God, instead of trusting in the God of those outward things. Paul called them dogs, in fact. He called them dogs because during that time in that area of the world, dogs were not what we consider today to be these pets and these these animals that we bring into our homes and we love and they love us back and they lick our faces. Back then, a dog was like one of the lowest things that you could find. And so Paul is comparing these men, these Judaizers, to dogs. Dogs. He called them mutilators of the flesh. He called them mutilators of the flesh because he's trying to show that what God wants to do is an inward thing. Because of what Jesus Christ had done, because Jesus Christ had came, and because Jesus Christ had implemented the new covenant, we were no longer required to do that outward physical cutting. But what God was looking for was the cutting of the heart. He was looking for that internal cutting of cutting ourselves off from the world, cutting ourselves off from evil, being circumcised in our hearts. But yet these men put their trust in the flesh. They put the trust in the things that they could do and the things that they could accomplish or that they had accomplished. And Paul goes on and says, hey, if you think you can brag, let me tell you who I am. If anybody could brag, I can brag because I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul runs down his resume and tells them that if anybody has any confidence in the flesh, it's me. Because I did everything that a Jewish man could do in order to be right with God in the flesh, in the physical. He wanted to show them that those things that they were depending on those outward things were not what would make them right with God. Read with me Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, as I approach your text this morning, Father, I pray that you would speak, that you would speak to your people, that you would speak through me, For your glory, Lord God, that you would move in this place, that you would open our eyes, that you would awaken us to the reality of what your word is expressing to us today, Lord God. Father, I am completely dependent upon you, Lord Jesus. I have nothing to bring, Father. Nothing I bring simply to the cross I cling. And Lord, I pray that you would have your way in this place this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a saying that goes, no matter where you go, there you are. No matter where you go, there you are. Essentially what that saying means is that no matter what situation or circumstance that you find yourself in, you bring who you are essentially on the inside with you into that circumstance. You might have heard it said this way, you can take a man out the country, but you can't take the country out the man or you could take a man out the hood but you can't take the hood out the man like that's the way that I've heard it more often than not and many times I found that to be true (laughs) as well is that I can go into a new situation that's designed and set up for me to win but if I'm bringing the same old attitudes and same old mindsets into this new situation The new situation is going to be just like the old one because who I am on the inside has not been changed. As I was thinking about that saying, I was thinking about this old cartoon about uh, these two wolves. It was a city wolf and there was a country wolf. And some of those who are as old as I am probably know this cartoon. So the city wolf and the country wolf are related. And so the city wolf goes... Or the country wolf goes to visit the city wolf. Now, these wolves in the cartoon are all dressed up in suits. And, well, the city wolf is dressed up in a suit, and he's a real fancy-looking guy. And he, he looks real good, and he talks very proper. Like, in the city, we don't do things like that. And so the other wolf is a country wolf. And so he's dressed in his overalls, and, you know, he's, yeah, cousin, I'm just happy to be, you know, talking like that and all that, you know, the country twang and 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 so the the country wolf goes to the city to visit his, I think it's his cousin or something. He goes to visit this wolf in the city and he gets caught up in the city and gets caught up in the bright lights and he gets caught up in the, the nightlife of the city. And there comes a point where he's just kind of come to the end of himself. And the city wolf looks at the country wolf and he tells him, I guess the city life's a bit too much for you, cousin. Time to go back to the country. And so the tables get turned later on in this cartoon, and the city wolf gets an opportunity to go to the country. And so as the city wolf is in the country, he gets caught up in the country life, and he sees all the things that that life has to offer. But he's still bringing his city attitude and his city ways with him to the country. And his city attitudes and his city ways are not capable of keeping and maintaining him just as the country wolf's ways and things weren't able to maintain him in the big city. And so at the end of that story, the same thing happens to the city wolf Is the country wolf turns to him and says, Well, cousin, I guess the country life's a bit too much for you. Time to go back to the city. The point of that story, the whole whole thing that I'm trying to point out is he took him with him. Each wolf took themselves, the same man that they were, into this new situation, into this new place. But they had not, either of them, been essentially changed and and able to acclimate to this, this new way of living. The same thing's true for us as we enter the year of 2021. We can go into this year with the same attitudes, the same mindsets, the same heart that we did in 2020, and 2021 may not be any better because we haven't been changed. We need to be changed. The change starts with us. If we want to see something greater in 2021, we need to change ourselves. We can't do that on our own. I'm not talking about, I'm not becoming the Judaizers and talking about legalism of just pick yourself up by your bootstraps, brother, and 2021 is going to be a lot better. No, it's deeper than that. You're not able to do. You need the spirit of God to move in you and through you to enable you to be able to be different in 2021 it's not uncommon for us to start a new year uh much like chad was saying and we come up with some resolutions we look back over the year that's passed and we think man i need to make some changes if you're anything like me you got fat during covid i got fat i'm gonna blame it on covid because before covid i wasn't that fat now i'm now fat but Uh, So that's the top of my list of resolutions right now is, Lord, I got to do something to get my weight under control, you know, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing for me to look at this new year and say that I want to make some changes, Um, even though that's not necessarily a spiritual change. It's still a change that I need to make. Um, But this morning, I think Paul is showing us some New Year's resolutions that really matter. And that's the title of this message is New Year's resolutions that really matter. There are some changes that we can make going into this new year that will really make a difference in our walk with Christ. That will really change the way that 2021 turns out. My first resolution that I glean from this is to fight against complacency. So the first resolution that we need to bring or I need to bring or you need to bring into the new year is an attitude of fighting against complacency. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3. He's starting at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What we're seeing here from the Apostle Paul is what's called Holy discontentment. Paul is saying, I'm not satisfied with where I am in this process of sanctification. Paul is saying, I have not yet reached my full maturity in Christ. But how could Paul say this? If we look at Paul, we look at Paul's life, we look at Paul's writings, we look at everything that he did for Christ, we saw how he strived and strained and fought, shipwrecked, imprisoned beaten all of these things we would look at him and say paul has reached the highest level of christian maturity that could be reached at least in my mind i would say there's not really much paul would probably need to clean up or change but paul didn't see it that way paul wasn't looking at all of that Paul's standard was christ and when our standard is Christ and not other people, we can always see how far away we are from reaching the mark. If I pick somebody out to look at as my standard in this room, I could very easily at some point puff myself up and say that, well, I'm close to where they are or I'm doing the things that they do or I'm a lot, I'm a lot like that. But when Jesus is my standard, I'm constantly aware of the fact that I fall short. He says that, he says, not that I have already obtained this. What Paul was trying to obtain, what was Paul trying to obtain that he did not already possess? Well, the word obtained as it's used here is the same word used in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, which says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. When Paul says not that I've already obtained. The imagery that he's pointing to. Or that's being called upon here. Is that of a runner in a race. Being crowned with the garland of victory. After completing his course. Paul is saying I have not finished my race. And received my crown. But I press on. To make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It's not easy to see on the surface of this text, but this portion of the verse points to Paul's conversion. Where in one sense, Paul gained the prize the moment he received Christ. Because Christ is the prize. Yet in another sense, Paul is saying, I'm still working out my salvation with fear and trembling because I am possessed by Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm not running hard after Jesus in an effort to earn his acceptance. I'm running hard after Jesus because I am accepted by him. My continued running is evidence that I even started the race. The closest I've ever been to the Lord, I believe in my life, was recently when I was sick. When I was diagnosed with COVID and I was in the hospital with my lungs full of fluid and pneumonia and being put on hypothermia beds in order to bring my temperature down. And I really was just in a place where I was like, Lord, I don't even know if I'm going to make it. But that was the closest that I've ever been to the Lord. During that time, the Lord allowed me to have sweet fellowship with him in my suffering. Isn't that beautiful that God takes our suffering and uses it to be some of the greatest times of our lives? I wouldn't trade that time for anything. During that time, I really was hungry for the Lord. The Lord had stopped me in my tracks. He had gotten my attention. He slowed me down. He used my infirmity in order to get my attention. And tell me to focus on him. The Lord used that time to realign me. To realign my tires as it was. I remember towards the end of my time there at the hospital. When I could sit up and I could eat and I was feeling a little bit better. I started to dig into the word as much as I could. I started to read all the books that I have on my iPad. I started to pray continually and just really get in this place of hunger for God. And while I was in that place, the Lord began to speak to me. Now, I'm not saying he cracked the sky open, so don't think I'm crazy. I'm not saying he cracked the sky open and said, Roman, listen up. No, those of us who are believers know that it's something that happens in our hearts It's something that we can feel. It's something that happens in our our minds as we read his word because his word is his voice, right? As I'm reading his word, I'm hearing his voice, and he's using his word in order to speak to me. And as he was ministering to me, one of the things that he gave me, he gave me three words while I was in there. The first word he gave me was victory. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what do you mean by victory? I'm like, okay, I guess that's victory over my sickness, victory over my suffering. But it was more than that. It was also victory in my Christian life. He was showing me that I can have victory in him. And the next word that he gave me was consecration, which is basically what we're talking about right here, is being brought into maturity, being conformed to the image of Christ. That was the second word. He said, consecrate yourself, separate yourself from those things that would hinder you from being in my presence. And the last word he gave me was be. I said, Lord, what do you mean by be? It's like stop trying to do so much and start to be who I've called you to be. And that was really heavy. I remember coming home after that hospital stay and... I continued with my prayer, my daily prayers, my daily meditations, my daily reading. I started trying to pull all the books that were telling me about uh, drawing closer to God and what it's like to be in God's presence and all of these things. And I just felt so connected with him. And I remember calling my wife into the room and I'm bawling. And there's nothing wrong, but I'm bawling and my wife's like, wondering what you know what's going on and i said i'm worried that once god heals me once i feel better once life starts to hit me again once all of the challenges that face me once work gets crazy i won't sense his presence in the way that i did during this time and i was broken Because when God allows you to enter in in a way that you experience in him on deeper levels, you're never again satisfied with nominal Christianity, with just getting by, with just doing enough. Because the one who loves you and calls you is showing you how good it is to be in his presence. In this process of sanctification, Paul shows us that we are fighting from a place of victory. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, you are accepted by him as a son or daughter. So as you run hard after God, you need to remember that you are not running for his acceptance. You run because you are accepted. And as I thought about this, I also thought about, okay, so what are the ways that I fight against complacency? What are, what are some practical things, Lord, that you can use to keep me from being in a place of complacency and being okay with not going forward and not working hard and striving after you? Three things. One, surround yourself with people who spur you on to greater levels of intimacy with Jesus. We need one another. And we've talked many sermons about this, and we've heard many scriptures like this. We've heard many people, iron sharpens iron. All It's true. All of those things are true. We need one another. I need brothers that put me to shame with the way that they seek after Jesus. I need brothers around me that makes me want to come up and not just stay here. The second way that I can do that is to spend time with Jesus in prayer. The times that I spend with Jesus in prayer are never wasted. I know that he answered prayers. I've seen him answer prayers. This year, I've seen him answer miraculous prayers. And so that encourages me to keep going and to keep digging. And the third thing is to spend time hearing God's voice through the study of his word. So that's the other way that I can fight against complacency is to listen to God, to hear what God is saying about who I am and whose I am and the way that I am to move and to live this life. Here at Highland Crest, we've already got the table set for all of these practices. But the question is, are we going to take hold of them? Do we actually want intimacy with Jesus? Do I actually want to be in his presence in that way because what do we have here to help us with those things well as far as being around other people who spur me on i've got small group right i've got other individuals that i get to share life with every week who can share with me their challenges as well as their joys and their triumphs and i can glean from them and learn from them and they from me and that's a way that I can fight against complacency because sometimes when I'm down hearing about another brother being victorious in Jesus pulls me up, right? Another way that we can do that here at Highland Crest where the table's already set is when we would do our Wednesday night prayer meetings. That was another, that was a way that we could engage in prayer. There's still a way that we can do that. We have other prayer meetings and groups too. It may not always be on Wednesday, but when those opportunities present themselves for us to corporately seek after God in prayer, we need to take advantage of that. And that's going to help us fight against complacency as well. And the third way is the initiative that just started happening here is that we're reading through the Bible in a year, right? Our church family is together committing themselves to read through the Bible in a year. And that is going to only serve to grow us in our relationship with Jesus and to bring us into maturity and to also fight against complacency. The second resolution is to develop holy amnesia. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but the second resolution is to develop holy amnesia. Philippians 3:13 says, "Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead." The first part of that verse, "Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own," Paul is simply saying, "I'm not there yet. I'm seeking and striving and trying to get to Jesus and trying to stay in his presence." But the truth is, I'm not complete. I'm not perfect. I'm not fully where I want to be. The way that I've always heard it is, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. That's the way that I've, I've heard that a lot of times. And that's, that's kind of what Paul is saying here. He says, but one thing I do, that's focus. Paul had a singular aim, to be conformed to the image of Christ. As Matthew 5, 48 says, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Paul knows that he can't reach or achieve sinless perfection while he's here, but he does know and he's telling us that the aim of every Christian is perfection, right? We're not... We're not, in one sense, we're not going to be able to live a perfectly sinless life while we walk on this earth. But yet God God is calling us to a standard of perfection. And so we're constantly realigning ourselves and constantly trying to get back to that place of, Lord, I'm chasing after you. Lord, I want to be more like you. Jesus, make me into the image of your son. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. What is Paul forgetting? He's saying, I'm letting go of everything, whether good or bad, that would hinder me from intimacy and relationship with Jesus right now. Right now, in this moment. If we live in our past victories, we develop spiritual pride, which hinders us from growing in Christ. We need grace for today. We need Jesus to pour out new grace and new mercies on us every day. I can't live off the sermon that I did two months ago and think that that's going to be enough to carry me into this one. It's not. I needed new grace for today. I needed Jesus to do something now. So Paul is not talking about just now. Now, some writers, some, some authors, some theologians said that Um, Paul is talking about here of letting go of his accolades as a Jew. But that's not really what he's talking about. It's like Paul did that a long time ago. What he's talking about is letting go of all of these things, these mindsets, these thoughts, these past things, whether they were good or bad things that hinder me from getting in God's presence today. Because sometimes we're living... In the past of dark things, what somebody's done to us, those things that somebody said to us when we were kids, when somebody told us we'd never be anything, when somebody told us you're ugly, when somebody told us you're not worth it, right? We can live in that place. We can look at those things and internalize those things and make those things be our things. But Paul is saying, no, Don't let any of that hold you back. Don't let the mistakes you've made hold you back. Don't let those poor choices and decisions that led you down a path that you found yourself away from God. Don't let those things hold you back either. Because there's new mercy and there's new grace being offered to you every day. Jesus is saying we can always come back. We can always come back and get in his presence. We can always realign. I know a lot about living off of yesterday's grace. In fact, I struggled to prepare this message. And I believe it's because I was complacent. I believe that in my own heart, I had allowed life to beat me down. I have allowed the challenges of 2020 to beat me down and to move my focus I've allowed my own physical pains and burdens my hip I've got some issues going on there that I may have to have a hip replacement I'm I'm 41 years old and I'm saying God I'm 41 and talking about replacing my hip that brought me down I'm looking at my wife she she wasn't doing well recently she some of you know she has Crohn's disease which is a gastrointestinal thing that really affects your whole body and your system and on the outside you look good but on the inside you're you're dying you're you're screaming for help and you're and things aren't just right work started to get challenging things started to pick up everybody wants to do something new bigger better for the new year and I let all of those things hang over my head like a cloud When I should have, like Paul, stopped looking at my circumstance and looking at the God who's with me in every circumstance. See, I need to develop a holy amnesia. I need to learn to let go. Now, now he's not saying either that we forget everything as a blanket statement of everything that's happened to us. That wouldn't be good either. Because if you forget fire was hot and you go touch the stove, you're going to realize that it's hot, right? So we're we're not, this is not a call to complete forgetfulness, but it's a call to forgetting those things that stop me from getting in God's presence. Because I'm speaking negative self-talk on myself. The enemy's whispering in my ear and saying, you're not good enough. You can't do it. You don't have the strength to do that, but that's a lie. Because I have the power of the living God living down inside of me. I have the resurrection power that Paul talked about earlier in this scripture. That's one of the things that he was seeking after. He wanted to be completely changed, conformed to the image of Christ. He wanted to experience his resurrection power. And that's what I want. I want to experience his resurrection power in my life. So, What do I do Then I find myself in that place of just being beat down, broken down, and not wanting to do anything? I repent. That's my call. That's the call. Repent. Lord, I realize that I've allowed other things in this life to snatch away my focus on you. And Lord, I'm coming to you today asking that you would turn my heart back towards you. Father, I pray that you would forgive me for my failure to see how great is our God. And to trust in you to bring me through these situations of life that would seem impossible. The third resolution is to keep running towards the goal. The third resolution is to keep running towards the goal. Paul says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul is using that language of a runner striving after a prize. So what is this prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Look with me at 2 Timothy or just listen. 2 Timothy 4.8. Henceforth there is laid up for me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This upward call is a call being made to all Christians, not just to Paul as an apostle, but to all Christians. It's a call to salvation in Christ is what that's pointing to. God is calling us all upward and heavenward. By the voice of the Lord Jesus, who is the word of God. And Christ Jesus speaks to the fact that it is God who calls. He calls us in the person of Christ by the voice of Christ. Come unto me. There's a sense in which Jesus is constantly calling us as believers to greater levels of intimacy with him. So in one sense, I have Jesus, right? Because I've received the salvation, the gift that God has offered to me in Christ Jesus. I repented from my sins. I turned from, from who I was and turned towards Christ and accepted the perfect finished work that he did, living a sinless life and dying on the cross in my place. And now his righteousness is counted to me. So in one sense, I, I have Jesus. I possess him. But in another sense, I'm constantly striving to be more like him. I'm constantly striving to be in his presence. I'm constantly striving to know him. And that is the beautiful thing that we saw in Paul's life is that he never lost that heart to strive after God. He could have easily looked at his accomplishments of what he had already done for Jesus and said, that's enough. I've gone far enough. I've sacrificed enough. I've done enough. But no, he wasn't satisfied there because the spirit of God is living down on inside of him. And that spirit of God is always calling us up to a higher level, calling us up to his level is what God is always doing. When I got married, in one sense, my wife belongs to me, right? In one sense, she belongs to me and I belong to her. But the way that I know my wife in 2021 is far better and greater than the way that I knew my wife in 2007. Right? I possess her, but because I love her, I continue to go towards her. I continue to try to know more about her. I continue to grow in relationship with her. That's not motivated by what somebody told me to do. Nobody had to tell me to love my wife and, like, try to please her and do nice things for her. I mean, sometimes we're slow and we need somebody to remind us that we're supposed to do those things. Because I'm naturally not a romantic, so I'll just throw that out there just as a side note. And so I need some nudges sometimes <laughs> to, to be like—my my wife will remind me, too. She'll, she'll, she'll gently say, be nice. Be nice. Be nice to me. You're being mean to me. And 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 it, it always melts me and it calls me back to say, hey, okay, babe, I'm gonna, I'm gonna realign myself. Um, and that's the same thing here. That's the same thing with what Paul is saying. I should never stop chasing after Jesus. Because I possess him is actually more of a motivation. For me to seek after him, I'm being motivated and compelled by the love of Christ. So, essentially, to wrap this up, essentially, what all these resolutions are are really the gospel. All of these things are the gospel. The gospel informs us that on your best day, you're still not good enough. And on your worst day, you're still not so bad that God can't reach you. The gospel informs us that I'm not depending on my own works, my own ability, my own effort, my own striving in order to be made right with God. No, I was made right with God when I said, Jesus, I accept the gift that you've given. I accept the perfect sacrifice of your sinless son who lived the life that I could not live, who walked this world in perfect, walked this world in a perfect way and looks to me and says, "Roman, my righteousness is available to you. Because you're my son, because you're my child, because you're in me, I possess you. I, you belong to me. You can come to me. You can ask me what you need to ask me. You can say the hard things that you need to say to me. I long to be in his presence. I long to know him more completely. And I'm saying to you this morning that there's no better resolution for this new year than for us to realign our focus, realign our hearts to Jesus, and to say to Jesus, Lord. I want to be in your presence. I want more of you. I want to be conformed to your image. Lord, give me a hunger and a thirst and a desire after you, after your word, after your people, after my community, after all these things that are going on. Father, I need you to draw me into yourself. And I thank you and I praise you that you're available to me when I need you. Now I'm going to hand it over to
1: Pastor Chad. Thank you. Father, we thank you for the word that we have heard today. I think the Spirit would ask our hearts, are we complacent right now? Have have we been content with mediocrity and lukewarmness. Are you using your word today to challenge us, to convict us, and say that word was was not just for Roman's life as he was preparing it, but it's for your life. He was speaking about you today. What about this amnesia? Are there some things that you have been taking on that God has not asked you to take on. They are His burdens to carry. Perhaps you felt overwhelmed and and He's bringing you to this point of saying, release that. Cast cast that upon me. Do it right now. Do Do it whenever you feel like you're taking it on yourself. Give it back to me. And perhaps you've sensed today that it's not about resolutions as much as about saying, I, I want to continue on steady to reach this goal that you have set for me to become more like Christ. And so I want to position my life this Sunday morning. That's, that's the aim of my life again. Help me to consider group of friends, the word, the prayer time, let me get back to that or, or enjoy that if it's in my life right now. And those of you who are here, maybe a, a child, maybe a teenager, maybe a, a grown adult, and you've never trusted Christ, why don't you do that now? It could be just as easy as saying, I, I want this new beginning. I confess my sins. They have grieved you. They have separated me from you want this new life that is found by, by turning away from those sins and having Jesus to be the boss, the, the king, the ruler of my life to, to come inside me and to fill me that I want to obey him the rest of my days to read the scriptures to, to be in a Bible preaching church and to be a follower of Jesus let's stand together, uh, loved ones and Let's sing this, I have decided to follow Jesus. and Why don't you personalize those words as you sing them? It's your your words to Jesus. And if you've never trusted Christ and, and you've done it today, I'll be here at the front to greet you and be delighted to talk with you further about what it means to be a follower of Jesus.